Welcome to the Two Vets Talk Pets podcast, hosted by veterinarians Dr. Lewis Kirkham and Dr. Robbie Anderton, who'll give you the inside scoop on the secret lives of your pets and have a lighthearted look at the latest animal news, health tips, and other random facts. All names of people and pets have been changed for confidentiality, so if the story sounds familiar, don't flatter yourself. Every owner is just as animal crazy as you are. So sit down, place your furry feathered or scaly best friend on your lap, and it's over to Lewis and Robbie. Hello and welcome listeners to episode 130-something of the Two Vets Talk Pets podcast, where too much talking of pets is barely enough. I'm Dr. Robbie Ennett, and I'm joined by a man who flouted COVID rules on Monday by lining up at a tattoo parlor to get a certain Richmond player's visage permanently embroidered onto his neck. It's Dr. Lewis Kirkham. All right, now play your bloody song so we can move on. What song are you talking about, mate? You know what song. You I don't know, know what you're talking about. No. We've already played it three times in our little you know, pre-thing. No. Oh, now you've gone no. all coy, have you? Oh, no. I don't know what song you're talking about. <laughs> what you talking about, Robbie? What you talking about? What you, you know? talking about? Is your team win the grand final, mate, and you're a little bit upset? Oh, oh yeah, go the Mighty Vixens. Yeah, I just don't know the Vixens song, that's all. The Storm. Or oh, The Storm. Yeah, yeah well, uh, it's yeah. good to see Victoria to a clean sweep. Tigers, Vixens, Storm. Clean sweep, oh, mate. Was clean sweep. Clean sweep, yeah, 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 and not one game in Melbourne for, for yeah. the, you know, yeah, incredible. Yeah, incredible, isn't it? But yeah. Anyway. Yeah. What are you up are, to, man? We, are, uh, we had a good chat this week on Flynn's Talk, didn't we, podcast? We did, yeah. If, uh, we had a, um, if anyone uh, didn't hear, we were on, uh, we were special guests yes. on, uh, on the Flynn Talk live to air. It was the first time we ever did a, a live to. Now, um, in, in the past, like say when we were uh, you know, hosting certain uh, 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 gala fundraisers, you know, uh, certain members of the Two Vets Talk Bets team would get a little bit nervous, mate. Um, did, did you feel uh, at all, you know, any sort of, uh, you know, sphincter tightening uh, going online to Facebook or the fact that it was online to a faceless audience who you're a bit better this time? Yeah, I'm heaps better on Zoom. I love the Zoom. It's great. It's my, it's my wheelhouse. I'll do that all the time. Makes you invincible. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. I don't like the live audience stuff that much, but I do a fair bit of it. So yeah, you yeah. think you get used to it. But then I think, you know, I don't know. Do you ever get used to it? I'm not really sure. But the Zoom was great. It was good fun. That a few games. Um, the Flynn's Talk podcast, for those who don't know, is um, is part of the Flynn's Walk, the charity um, that, uh, sort of, uh, now an official charity. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Official, um, dedicated to Flynn Hargraves who uh, took his own life a couple of years ago. Um, and just about getting the conversation started between vets and nurses and, and, uh, and the vet community about suicide and, and mental health and that sort of thing. So they've, they've, they they've normally do a walk, but they couldn't do it this year. So, um, you can, uh, you can go to their latest podcast called Flynn's Talk and you can hear us on, on Facebook Live having a good chat. It was great fun, wasn't it? Yeah, and you might be able to find it still on the Facebook feed, um, feed too. If you go to Flynn's Walk, um, you can find the uh, find the little thing on uh, the little link, the little Excellent. linky link, and you can go and, uh, go and watch uh, watch the guys go. And uh, me in my uh, very hastily made last-minute bow tie when I didn't realise that everyone was actually getting dressed up. <laughs> You know, I thought everyone was just, uh, yeah, that thing of where, you know, oh, yeah, it's a fancy dress party. Go, yeah, nah, BS it is. You know, and you're going to turn up, you know, the, the only one dressed as a walrus. Um, well, so well, you're, you're lucky, mate. I, the reason I was a bit late, I came on as a, I was told it was um, it was Playboy bunny suit. So I actually came in a full Playboy outfit and uh, just turned on. Oh, oh. So it was a little bit uh, Bridget Jones's diary there. So I had to rush off and put the tux on. I, I did. I did see the um the just just the real little snippet, you know, that suddenly your camera went dark all of a sudden, <laughs> like that little test pattern came up yeah. suddenly that you had to try and change something up pretty fast. Sense it over, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, it was good fun. It was good fun. Uh, this week, 
at work. I had a first this week. I don't oh, know about you. Me. If you ever this, I had a client uh, been requested to bring in a urine sample um, to get a blood sample at the same time from their cat. Yes. And he's gone, um, walked in and he's handed me a bag of essentially clumping sand litter. Right. Look, look very dry. Like, yes. No. And he's gone, here's the urine sample. I've gone, I can't do a lot with that. There's, there's not even like a pool in the bottom. It's, it's, it's like, that looks as dry as anything. It's, it's like, I was just thinking maybe you get the urine out of the sand. I was like, yeah, look, that's a new, that's a new one, but thank you. Um, but did you, a, you could have at least tried squeezing it, mate, and I see did. whether or not you could squeeze. Yeah, you gave it a little squeeze? I did. I, I actually opened the plastic bag and all the water in the whole room just went, just sucked straight into it. Was that dry? <laughs> Desiccating. <laughs> Um, have you, did you um, do a quick, uh, a quick uh, literature search, Lewis, to try and sort of find whether or not anyone's uh, written up any guidelines of uh, urine-specific gravities obtained out of, uh, out of sand? <laughs> no, I didn't. I thought you were going to say, did I do a finger test for glucose? But no, I didn't do that either. <laughs> and you go, well, yeah, it's a bit gritty. Um, yeah, oh, I, I had- just like pop rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I had a um a, an interesting urine sample collection this week myself. Actually, I was um this kitty cat that um uh, lost some weight, so we need to get some blood from it and need to get some urine. But it's a bit of a grumpy cat, so um gave it some a little bit of zilkeen and a little yep. bit of gabapentin, yep. and um uh, got the blood sample. But then trying to get the urine sample, it started getting a little bit cranky. I was like, right, well, we're going to have to leave this. Um, put the cat back in the carrier, walking back out. And, um, and I said, oh, look, yeah, we're probably gonna have to try and get a urine sample at another day. Yep. Um, and I've walked back into the room and then suddenly realized that there's a, um, there's all these puddles of yellow because we're still <laughs> consulting outside yes. leading from the consult room out to the front door. Yes. And I look, I've gone, this is the first thing in the morning. So I know it's not going to be from any other animal. Oh, geez, this is the cat wee. So the cat's actually then sprayed outside of the oh, back wow. of the um, outside of the back of the the carrier. Yeah. So then I managed to get in there and just get my syringe and suck, suck, suck all the, the little bit of wee out. So. Yeah, there's nothing nothing faster, I reckon, than a vet finding a urine sample on the floor and grabbing that syringe really quickly to suck it up, is there? Oh, just... or, or or if you're trying to get a cysto sample and you're holding onto the bladder and then suddenly they start to wee. <laughs> yes. and, and so 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 I, I just quickly pull the plunger out of the back of the syringe and sit there and hold it over oh, the um, over the urine urine stream and, sit there and catch it that way yeah i just sort of i just sort of cut my hand and just do catch you? it. yeah 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 that's oh, nice oh, yeah, that, that's nice. pretty good well, you've got clean hands too so you probably still got to culture it because you've been hand sanitizing all the time that's right of course that'd be perfect <laughs> um, I had a, um, a, a good one this week. So um, actually, um, so listeners of the podcast, Lewis. Um, yes, regulars. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, they are now. Yep. Um, so uh, their, their little dog um, had, a, uh, had a big lump on its side. And so I did surgery on it last Monday and, uh, and removed it. Um, and it had been a, you know, also I had to do some dental work on her a couple of weeks beforehand. So the, so the little dog's been through a fair bit, but she's been feeling better and better and better each time as we've been doing all this stuff. So it's been really good. And so when um, I took her out to them on Monday, um, they had a, they had a slab of beer there for me, Lewis. Ooh. They said, Oh, you've been, you've been working so hard that we thought you might, you might want a beer for, for after your hard day at work. I go, Oh geez, that's pretty, that, that's pretty nice. Now, what sort of beer, given these um, interesting times that we're having, Lewis, do you think it was? Well, mate, slam dunk there, I reckon. The, uh, anything Mexican, maybe. It was, yeah, a bit of Chavita. You know, it was a nice, a nice slab of Corona. Oh, right? very well but done. Which is fantastic. I'm not a man who's going to look a, a gift slab of beer in the mouth, Lewis, you know. Yeah. But um, it, was, um, it was interesting that I think that uh, the, the general... 
sales of Corona must have gone down because the, mm. the, the there was some 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 dust on the on on the bottles. But that's right, that that comes off very easily once they've been in the fridge and they're uh, nice and nice and crisp. But um, uh, the, the those people came in today for me to take the stitches out of uh, out of their little dog, and um, they said, "Oh, we, we're listening to the podcast. Said, oh, yeah, oh. yeah, no, terrific. Yeah, yeah, no, we we think you're really funny. That's good. They didn't mention anything about Deb being on the show, so that's great. <laughs> oh, that's um, good, good, good. You know, Got some um, questions about that later. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yep, yeah, great. Yep, yeah, I'm, yep. I'm not surprised. Um, but uh, they said, oh, we're, we're up to episode 15. I go, oh, oh, wow. You've gone back, gone back to the start. <laughs> I said, look, that's, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's not like, you know, uh, Game of Thrones or anything where you've got to have gone from the start <laughs> to try and sort of follow what's going on. You know, we were pretty rusty back then, back, yeah. in, the, back in the early days. We feel like we're doing pretty, a little bit better now. But Pretty tinny too, I reckon. I don't think we got a decent mic until about episode 20. Yeah, I, I think that was back mm. when we were still able to get close enough that we'd share the one little uh, yes. little earpiece mic yeah. was that I huddled around it like uh, <laughs> like like moths to a flame. Oh, so, mate. Well, that's that's what, yeah, I know you're from the from that uh, that latte set over in uh, over Parkdale way there, mate. That uh, you know, did did the um, the Corona come with a, a couple of lemons there, just for you to slice and just 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 poke in the top as as, as you want? Oh, to try and keep the flies away. That's the uh, that, that's the. Um, now, unfortunately, both my lemon and lime tree, while they are uh, while they are flowering, they are fruitless. So, um, mm. so the only lemon that I can get is you know just put a little uh, you know a little, little lemon lolly in there or something like that, and that sort right. of you know is a bit 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 weird. But anyway, put, so, have, so 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 when those guys are listening to this in in you know fifteen months time, <laughs> once they get up to episode one hundred and thirty three from fifteen, you know, thank you very much for the beer, guys. It was terrific. It's you know, well thanks. and truly been drunk by now, I'd say, and I've bought forty more cases of it. But thanks very much. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, very good. I had a, um, this week an interesting uh, behaviour case with um, a cat that uh, that I saw. It, uh, um, often we see I see aggression uh, of cats towards owners. That they're quite a complicated sort of behaviour case. And this one, um, a client sort of came into me, and I always try and refer them on to for needing a bit more time because they're often quite delicate and difficult situation. Anyway, as it turned out, the client wanted to see me. So, but it was a um, it was a it was a cat that was owned by someone. So we say from uh, from uh, an airline industry profession. So. No job currently. Oh, uh, yeah. well, I got you. Yes, lost, lost the job. So home a bit more, and the cat uh, was aggressive. Was was attacking her, and she she purposely came in in shortest shorts, short shorts to show me how much scratches and bites she had all over her legs. Which Gee, was, it was phenomenal. It was, it was like, and so and so we sort of talked about, it and she was a bit like, well, if I can't see you. You know, there's a pinch potential. I'm, I'm thinking of rehoming the cat, or you know, yeah, something yeah. else with it because it's really, really been quite, a, quite aggressive to me. And so, we sort of talked about some options. And she said, "Went well, now, she's allowing it outside, and that seemed to be helping a lot with it." And uh, and the interesting one was, um, was I said, "Oh, you know, we need to work out a little bit more about what's going on. You know, perhaps start a little bit of a diary of when these attacks occur." Didn't seem to be any sort of rhyme or reason. It wasn't, you know, when she didn't have any clothes on, maybe, which is a common thing cats mm. will do if they if they know they're going to get a response or when they're ignoring them. Although I think there was a little bit of when I'm on the phone, maybe. But um, and so she kept keeping a diary, and then I said, you know, you need to increase the amount you're playing with the cat. It seemed like it was really starved for some interaction. Mm. So we talked about, you know, ramping it up twenty minutes twice a day, some vigorous. Um, 
on a string, uh, feather on a string or something like that sort of play. And yeah, not and, the cat on a string, but a feather on a string. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah spot on. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, you know, using, uh, sort of food release devices, some, uh, little mice you can put, uh, you know, pretend play mice, you can put some dry food in and just go around the house. So anyway, I spoke to her and thought oh, I'll better keep in touch with her. Cause it, you know, these often don't go very well cause there's a lot of aggression and, people getting hurt involved essentially. Mm. And she'd started the diary and she'd actually worked out. She had a, a, uh, a timed feeder for the cat that she used all the time. So that when she went away for long periods on her previous job, she yeah. could just set up the time feeder for, for a couple of days and, and it would work sort of in that situation. Um, and she noticed that when the time feeder was the, the pouch that was open, the packet that was open or whatever, the, the, the dish that was open when it was empty, the cat would become aggressive. Right. And so it was linked totally to just not having any food in its bowl, essentially, and the cat would attack her. Right. So, um, so hungry, she said, grumpy cat. Yeah. So we said, so we made a decision. Oh, the cat's a little bit overweight. We made a decision that probably just feeding it all the time and having an overweight cat was better keeping in the household than having a cat that, uh, that potentially wasn't going to be in the household at all. So problem wow. solved there you go you know yeah. bang um i um you know not not to you know like i uh definitely not not uh sort of boned up with the the behavior stuff as much as what you are but um i, I think i did myself a little bit of sleuthing work on a behavior uh, uh case this week too yeah i had a um a, a client come in the the dog had um uh owners had been been home um uh, over the COVID lockup time, but the owner's wife was a, um, like was, uh, made um, like handcrafts and stuff. And so has been doing a lot of online selling through the, through the lockdown period. Yep. So they were having, um, uh, couriers coming and knocking on the door all the time. Um, so, you know, ring the doorbell, the two dogs are going nuts, ring the doorbell, the yep. two dogs are going nuts all the time. The couriers are ringing, ringing, ringing to come and pick up the packages. Um, but then now that lockdown is, has been eased, one of their friends came around and knocked on the door and came in. And, oh, so I opened the door, the dog's going nuts, but now the person's come in, right? Come inside yeah. of the house. And, um, and so the dogs are going nuts and one of them sort of come forwards and she's lent down, mask on, glasses on, mm-hmm. head covering on, down, and the dog's just... <gasps> freaked out and um and and attacked her bit of a snap wow and so yeah i thought oh hang on i said look you know these cases are very very serious and you know we need to you need to always say maybe you want to go and see a behavior specialist or someone who's done more stuff in behavior but you know i got a feeling that we might be able to sort of pick maybe a little bit of where this triggering is happening of where suddenly you're getting a lot more people ringing on the doorbell that's been ramping these dogs up um and then suddenly it's gone from the person's being outside the door to suddenly they're coming inside and i think it's just sort of ramped things up a little bit for it so yeah, right a bit of a frustration there you reckon and once i've sort of got to i've been practicing a lot of behaviors and now that they finally get to actually do them they're like oh hang on this is what we're doing yes, interesting yeah. mate good then- stuff so, so I think I think it's a little little bit of sleuthy work there, Lewis. Anyway, you know. Very nice, mate. Very nice. Um, actually, yeah. Uh, we move on to sponsors, or absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting one. A big sponsor of the podcast is Zilkeen, the mild sure anxiety. 
anxiety lowering medication. Um, and interesting, I don't know if you've got it, mate. We've got a shortage of a certain type of food um, at the clinic at the moment. It's called Hills CD Stress. Uh, a yes. lot of vets and perhaps owners out there might be having trouble getting it. We use it a lot for perhaps potentially cats that have got urinary tract issues. Um, and what what might be interesting for people to know is Hills CD Stress is basically um, Hills CD, which you can still get, but you add zilkine to it. Oh, really? That's all the stress component is. It's just the equivalent of zilkine put in the in the Hills CD packet. So if anyone's got some shortage of can't get their their preferred urinary brand of food um, with right. the Hills CD stress, then then get some Hills CD and, and, and ask for some Zilkin, just a little Zilkin chaser just to go with say it. it. Just, just, a, just a little sousant of, of, of yeah, on the side, on the side, like truffle oil. Yeah. yeah you just give it a little shave of some, of some, of some, yeah, fresh zilkine truffle yeah. on the, uh, you know, on the top of the CD. You reckon? Yeah, very nice. And don't and don't bring in a urine sample in the in the uh, in your in your in litter. The sand? No, not in the sand. No, it doesn't work. Ah. We can't we can't do anything of that. But speaking of um, a delicate care, it'd be great if they brought out a urinary food. Oh, would um, absolutely, yeah. But Australian owned. Um, but for spot- now, they've got some great foods. Yeah, definitely, exactly. Yeah, they've got the skin and stomach for the dogs. Uh, they've got. Uh, it's all made from from Skippy and Daffy, isn't it? All it duck sure and is. duck and kangaroo, which is duck which and is great. Yep, and all Australian ingredients, which is which is fantastic. So they've got the weight management, mobility support. Uh, they've got uh, the dental food as well, which is really good for cats. Yes, um, there's a bit of chat on the on the Facebook pages. Uh, one of the vet Facebook pages saying how how fantastic the food is. A lot of vets saying they recommend it and they they really really like it, which is certainly uh, something we endorse, don't we, mate? Oh, absolutely. We, yeah. we we endorse it. Um, I actually had a um, uh, so I got a cat started on some of the uh, the sensitive skin and stomach this week because we're trying to do a novel protein di- uh, diet trial. Yeah. And uh, we've had some issues with this cat trying to eat other foods. And so I uh, said, give this one a shot because it's a uh, duck and kangaroo. And so it's never had that before. Yep. Taken like it to taken to it like a like a duck to water or a can <laughs> like a kangaroo in a sausage mate. Yeah. Like the a cat, cat loves cat it. Cat to a bowl of duck food. Oh, it's just, yeah. it's, it's just quacking all the way, you know, <laughs> it's, really, it's good. So it's very palatable, certainly. And, and good for putting on weight too. If you need to put some weight on your cat, I'll leave gained a couple of kilos. We had to cut it back a little bit. Oh, really? It. Yeah. It's very, very, very high on the calories, which is, which is good. I think just got to be careful. That's all. How much you, you feed. Got to get feed sensibly. Exactly. And also big thank you to our Patreon supporters. Uh, we love you guys. We had a few on at Flynn's talk on the Facebook live page. We had decal gal, didn't we? We did, yes, yeah, yeah. and cloudy, cloudy Gooley as well. Um, it's great you know, to see. It's great to see those guys there live. Have a bit of live. support. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. yeah so if you, if you if you if you'd also like to support the uh, the podcast, go to patreon.com, Search for Two Vets Talk Pets. As little as two dollars a month, Lewis will get off his bum and send you a sticker. Unless it's unless you're in the states, in which case uh, it's lucky that we've got decal gal there to uh, to do it. So that way, Lewis doesn't have to lift. <laughs> very nice very nice now mate what do you got in the news this week you got so, uh, you got some sort of nutty thing and a, a, a pistachio mate yeah, pistachio that's a nut is it a, a tree seed oh, i don't know i'm not that i'm not that that bone up that pistachio nuts i don't know a nice a nice green little green little thing i'm just going to try and work out where macadamia I, where... nuts <laughs> almonds that's from best in show isn't it is that the guy best in show with the bloodhounds 
Uh, yes, it, it is. Be. Seen it, it is. recently. You haven't seen it, mate. No, not not a. Oh no, I've seen Best in Show, but just not for a long time. The guy, the, the guy in the truck. Uh, it, it shows the bloodhounds, and he's driving along. And say, I can name all sorts of nuts, and he just like lists them off. Anyway, so is that giving you enough time to, to get on your pistachio? It has. Thank you. <laughs> Great. So, so this is from ABC um, from uh, Friday the 23rd of October, so last week. So the, this is uh, one that I tried. You know, I can't believe we missed this one before we went to, went to where last Friday. Right. Um, a rare lime green puppy named Pistachio born in Italy. Oh, yes. 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 So covered Italian- in meconium. Well, well, actually, actually, they don't reckon it was covered in meconium because all the other puppies were all okay. Oh, know, like, but it might yeah. be the last one. A bit distressed. Could be the last one. It could have been. Could have been. But he's a. He's a I'll, anyway, I'll the picture. Look at that. Look, yeah, bright, bright that's, green. Well, that's great for the listeners. No, they love that. Oh, oh, we'll, we'll post the image. There, they know that we will. Don't um, get, so we're not on Facebook Live now, mate. Oh, sorry, man. Yeah, no. Yeah. Otherwise, I'd have my bow tie, or, or the or the other cutout thing that I cut out of it first. That was a little yeah. bit. Yes. Or the Playboy outfit I had on. I had, to, I had to make sure, I, like as I was, uh, we finished recording, I put it down. I found that still on the on the on the couch. And, oh, I better move that before the kids find it. Yes. To the listeners, Robbie cut out something that's not appropriate to be talked about. No, no, anyway, no. Pistachio. Or appropriate for the kids to find afterwards. Italian farmer Christian Malocci has suggested the birth of a rare green food puppy to one of his eight dogs is meant to put a smile on people's faces during tough times. So he's got eight dogs. So, I'm, I'm you know, that's a... Uh... Eight dogs or eight puppies? No, no. Uh, five puppies, but eight dogs. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Um, so green. Uh, so yeah, the tiny dog immediately named Pistachio was part of the rather than Kermit. I think Kermit would have been a, a good, good idea. One, yeah. yeah. So it's not not, e- not easy being green. Um, uh, immediately named Pistachio was uh, was part of a five dog litter born on October the 9th, all with white fur, the same color as their mixed breed mum, except him. Mister Malocci runs a farm on the Mediterranean island of Sardinia with his brother-in-law. Gianangelo Lapiri. It is extremely rare for a dog to be born with green colored fur. It is thought that it happens when pale colored puppies have contact with their mother's womb with uh, in their mother's womb with a green pigment called Billy Verdon. It's the same pigment that causes the green color and bruises. Another theory is that meconium an infant mammal's first poo composed of digested nutrients received while still in the womb gets into the puppy's amniotic sac and mixes with the amniotic fluid and stains its fur. So yeah, it's basically just a dirty puppy. Uh, <laughs> Oh mate, you let me down. I was going. What's the genetics behind this? This yeah, is great. No, no, no. no. It's just Dirty. it's not like the, not like those canaries that used to you know put red food dye in their water to try and make them red, <laughs> yeah. or flamingos that are pink because they eat the shrimp. Oh yes, that's right. Yeah. Yes. So it um, hasn't been eating grass, obviously. Uh, I don't think so. I might have been rolling in the grass. Yeah. yeah well, maybe yeah. maybe mum ate some grass and was like feeling a bit unwell. Just bleh, just vomited, vomited yeah. all over a little pistachio. <laughs> Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't come up being orange like carrots then. <laughs> Multicolored. Uh, so the bright green uh, his fur had on the day of his birth has faded day by day and it will continue to do so as he gets older. Oh. Um, so, you know, and after that, he's just then another mixed breed dog. But he's always going to be called pistachio. And maybe, maybe the farmer might decide that he wants to, you know, do a, a funky haircut on pistachio and, or maybe paint him green and then put him be- between a couple of, you know, stack hats and make him look like a pistachio nut inside of a, inside of a shell. Very, oh, very nice, mate. Well, I reckon he's onto something there. I reckon if he keeps dying at green, surely he can sell it for double the price. It's a rare, you know, something or other. What breed was it? Maltese. I- 
West Ham. Maltese shit. Yeah, so, so they might call it a, a, a Sardinian ease or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do a Sardinese. Like, do the Italians like the Maltese? Is that a thing? I don't really know. Oh, yeah, not I'm sure. not sure. Let's. Let's stay out of the political uh, world, you know. Thanks, think, mate. Thanks. That's still, a great. Still probably, still probably a hot button topic after that whole Second World War thing. So maybe, right. maybe, maybe right. we leave it. We leave, we leave sleeping green dogs lie. Two, two vets talk. Um, conflict. Foreign, foreign affairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah war, war conflict. Yeah, yeah. That's that's our yeah, wheelhouse. That, that's Definitely. our branch podcast. Exactly. We're talking about you know fruit trees and limes and lemons. Now we'll move on to the the war correspondence. Yeah, yeah, with our little helmets and yeah, media, yeah, media on our on our flak jackets. Here I am, deep in the enclave district. Coming in enclave, the enclave district. Oh, it's a helicopter coming in. Waka waka waka. I thought I thought you were just trying to be Fozzie Bear there for a second. Fozzie Bear. Yeah, waka waka waka. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah it's seamless. Um, now, uh, also, yeah. um, also on that, uh, uh, oh, well, couple of days, a um, couple of days after, actually, the, um, uh, no, a couple of days before. So, New South Wales government. Speaking of of um, rare puppies and uh, and doubling the prices, New South Wales government launches statewide RSPCA task force to target puppy farmers profiting off social media. Mm. So the New South Wales government a government has vowed to crack down on mass dog breeders amid reports of puppy farmers turning to social media to sell dogs at inflated prices. The agricultural minister Adam Marshall in the scene in this article wearing a resplendent cowboy hat uh, said the government would fund a new RSP, RSPCA task force to investigate and dismantle illegal dog breeding facilities. The team of investigators will work with the New South Wales Police Force Rural Crime Unit to track down and prosecute the perpetrators. Today's announcement follows joint raids of alleged breeding facilities in Inverell and Wagga Wagga, both of which are still under investigation. Mr. Marshall said the new squad will put illegal breeders on notice. Wow. The new task force will consist of four new RSPCA inspectors, six in total, who will exclusively spend their time inspecting breeding facilities across the state, ensuring they meet the New South Wales government's robust animal welfare requirements, he said. Their sole job will be to travel up and down the... Uh, across the state, raiding, weeding out, and putting before the cow- the courts. These cowboys, he's the one wearing the hat. Ooh. These grubs that are operating these puppy factories in contravention of the law and also exploiting animals for their own commercial profit. Well, that sounds, I like the sound of that. That's a... Uh... I don't think that's uh, – is there a dedicated one of those in Victoria? Is it only New South Wales? Not sure. You'd want to hope there is one in Victoria, but I just wonder where the uh, where the line in the sand is of what differentiates um, people exploiting animals for their own commercial profit and how that then differentiates from, I don't know, say other breeders that are probably inflating their prices given the market – four puppies at the moment i think there's some loaded language there that are you know i think yeah absolutely puppy farms boo hiss yeah but um i think there's uh there there's probably other people that are responsible for making putting male dogs in the vicinity of female dogs and having them produce little dogs sometimes green don't get me wrong uh and um maybe jacking the prices up well potentially Potentially the journalist has taken a bit of poetic license there, I think, and just tried to sensationalise the fact that 
they've just got uh, the RSPCA has got a new task force that's going to check out puppy farms. It's not nope, really. That's a, that's a direct quote from the minister. Is it really? Yep. For the inflated yep. prices. Wow. These cowboys, these grubs that are operating these puppy factories in contravention of the law and also exploiting animals for their own commercial profit. Yeah, they right. will be caught. Okay. They will be busted. They will have the full force of the law thrown at them. Now, I've, there is some pretty Tough. stacked police men and women out there. If they get thrown at these puppy farm uh, operators, that'll that'll teach them a lesson because there's they'll some, end up bruised. There's some tough words there, aren't there? Gee, whiz, yes. I wonder, sounds very. Uh, is it is it uh, Palmer Party or something? What party is he to say? No, no, he'll be he'll be um he'll be liberal. I mean, I think wearing the cowboy hat, he's probably you know national. out in rural. Yeah, he'd be a, a, a national. Maybe a national. Anyway, yeah. oh, that's interesting. Wow. So there you go. So, mm. so I mean, so the, and then they go on to say about, you know, um, uh, they'll be working with intelligence officers who will actually be monitoring every single day a lot of online activity, which seems to be the domain now that these black market operators like to operate across, Mr. Marshall said. They like to operate on pages like Facebook, selling sites like Gumtrees and other websites of that nature. What's driving an increase in the number of these backyard factories happening is commercial sale value for companion animals has increased markedly in the last 12 months. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they yeah well, that's true. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I reckon, I don't know about you, mate, but we're getting a few more inquiries at work about pregnancies and uh, pregnancy testing. You know, I reckon we've had three in the last week that I go, we don't normally get any at all. You know, how do I know if my dog's pregnant? Can I do a blood test? Can blah, 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 blah. You know, sort of just an inquiry on the phone from people who aren't normally clients. So there's obviously perhaps people are seeing the uh, the potential money that's being made and, and looking to capitalize quickly on it. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree. I agree. I think uh, in, in general, we are like, we're getting more, yeah, more of those reproduction inquiries that mm. we usually don't really deal with. Mm. Um, yeah. But, um, but yeah, yeah. So there's certainly something afoot, you know, um, but you Oof. know, where there's money to be made. Something in the air. It's spring. Thing maybe. in the air. Yeah. So, um, oh, but I think we had one during the week, even a bloke wondering why his female dog wasn't getting pregnant. And it's like, oh, mate. Was it de-sexed at six months of age? <laughs> Dad, didn't ask that. Just checking that left ear. Is See there if a it's tattoo? got a tattoo. Is there a tattoo? Oh, yeah, both got tattoos. Yes, okay. We've got to go now. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? <laughs> uh, maybe maybe they procedure. just leave a dirt, sit on a dirty toilet seat or something like that. You know, <laughs> maybe who knows? You know, doesn't really seem like it's going to happen any other way. Uh, well, it happened in the Bible, but that's about the only place I think. Yeah, maybe they need a manger. Yes. Yeah, I'll suggest that next time. Make a little yeah, manger. Keep, keep, keep it on your list of, of, of things that you can use. So anyway, so that's all That's all the good stuff. use that's fit to print. So. All right, mate. We'll move on to the disclaimer, I reckon. All advice on this show is general in nature, so please consult your veterinarian before following any advice for your pet. We do our best to provide the most up-to-date information as veterinary medicine is continually advancing and changing. Please let us know if you missed anything, if you need any clarification, or, you know, if you want me to get more onto my high horse about, you know, how much people are charging for puppies these days. It's mm, a lot of money, isn't it? All right, Oregon, we'll take a, a short break. Money. Yes. And I'll, after the break, I'll come back and talk about age of desexing of breeds and also want to have a bit of a chat about uh, shock collars or e-collars and that sort of thing. So we'll be back after the short break. Hey, Robbie, I'd love to give a shout-out to our friends at PetSure for their awesome free webinar series. Yeah, man, I heard about those. Aren't they called pause and learn as in p-a-w-s <laughs> i see what you did there oh mate there's nothing like a good acronym 
It got your attention. <laughs> it certainly did, mate. But seriously, the Pet Show webinars cover some amazing topics, though. They sure do. There's one on COVID-19 and pets, very topical, and essential viewing for all concerned pet parents in this COVID-19 world. Indeed, mate, and for vets as well. Oh, you're absolutely right. There's also another one called Setting Up Your New Pet for Success. And here's one that's really important, Helping Pets Avoid Separation Anxiety. That'd be right in your wheelhouse, wouldn't it? Oh, mate, love that. Anything on behaviour, that's absolute gold. Oh, mate, it's all gold, gold, gold for pet sure here. And you know they're presented by Pet Shore's Chief Vet, Dr. Danny Hulhan, friend of the podcast, and also they have a range of other pet experts for each topic, so you know you're getting the good stuff. Oh, mate, that sounds great. So to learn more about these webinars or to register, visit petsure.com.au slash webinars. Registration is free, but spots are limited, and since we've just registered, two less... So make sure you secure your spot today. Oh, T's and C's apply. Visit petshaw.com.au for more information. All right, welcome back, listeners. Thank you very much for those uh, special kind words from Petshaw. Uh, Lewis, I believe that you've read an article. Yeah, this is an article. It's a little bit... A little bit dry, I suppose. Once I've made a list, but it's about we talked a couple. You talked a couple of weeks ago about uh, a lecture you'd been to on desexing ages of certain breeds of dogs and how things are a little bit up in the air. We're not sure. It used to be a standard desex at six months of age, but now there's a little bit more evidence to say it's a bit more varied. That not as simple as that. Mm. There was a study that came out uh, in July this year entitled assisting decision making on age of measuring for 35 breeds of dogs associated joint disorders cancers and urinary incontinence Mm. so i thought what i'd do is the 35 breeds of dogs just give a quick summary i won't go through the whole article because i think it's probably a little bit dry and a little bit boring for the listeners but if you have i'll go through each there's 35 breeds so it might take me 35 minutes or so but we'll work on it so australian cattle dog males they don't care when you desex. Females, they say to spay after six months of age. Australian Shepherd, there's no particular recommendation, male or female. Beagles, the males, wait until they're older than a year of age. The females, there's no particular recommendation. Bernese Mountain Dog. Now we've got a listener. Yes. Very uh, cloudy. His ears will have pricked up. Yes. Uh, so the males uh, wait until they're older than two years of age. And the females, there's no particular recommendation. Which is very interesting. Yes. Yeah. Uh, border Collies, male and females, recommended older than one year of age. Um, Boston Terrier, the males are older than a year age. Females, no particular recommendation. Boxers, male and female, older than two years of age. Bulldog, male and female, no recommendation. Same for Cavalier King Charles Spaniels and Chihuahuas, no particular recommendations. Cocker Spaniels, older than six months for the males and for the females, older than two years or, and this is specific, at six to 11 months of age. Right. How about that? That's pretty specific, isn't it? Uh, Collies, males, no recommendation. Females, older than one year. Uh, Corgis, older than six months for the males and no recommendation for the female. Ducks, Hunds. Male and females, no particular recommendation. Dobermans, leave intact or neuter. Leave intact like lifelong. Don't desex yeah, right. them for the males or neuter them before one year of age. And females, don't desex them until they're older than two years of age. 
which is interesting. Those ones where they say either leave them entire the whole time or here's a really narrow window. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's a bit, it's, it's, a, it's sort of a bit it's, funny, isn't it? It's called science. I think, I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know how they worked it out, but if, if I delve deeper into the article, I'm sure they'd give you some explanations, but not tonight, today. English Springer Spaniel, males, no recommendation. Females are older than one year of age. German Shepherds, male and female, older than two years of age. Mm. Golden Retriever, the males older than one year of age. The females, they ideally recommend to leave intact or entire. Mm. Or desex them at older than one year, but be vigilant for cancers. So they're prone to cancers, as mm. they've said. Uh, Great Dane, uh, male and female, well beyond one year of age for their musculoskeletal development should be considered. Same for females of the Irish Wolfhound, but for the males of the Irish Wolfhound, it's over two years of age. Jack Russell Terrier, male and female, no recommendation. Labrador, males over six months of age, females over one year of age. Maltese Terriers, miniature schnauzers, Pomeranians have no recommendations for male or female. Toy poodles are the same, no recommendations. Miniature poodles, the males are over one year and females, no recommendation. The standard poodles over two years of age and the, for the males and females, no recommendations. For the pug, male and female, no recommendations. The, the Rottweiler, or some people like to say Rockweilers. The Rockweilers. Rockweilers. You get a few right. Rockweilers. Rockweiler. 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 <laughs> Males are over a year of age, females over six months of age. St. Bernard, male and female, well beyond one year of age because of their large body size. Shetland Sheepdog, males, no recommendations. Females at or beyond two years of age. Shih Tzus, males, no recommendation. Females, two years of age or one or two months before six months of age. So four to five months of age. Wow. Uh, West Island White Terriers, males, no recommendations. Females, one year of age. And Yorkshire Terrier, no particular recommendation. So, mm. how's that? Yeah. So, and I guess that's, um, they had some reasonable numbers in those studies yeah. too. Like, you know, sort of, you know, over a hundred animals per, per group in a lot of those, right. uh, in a lot of those things. So, I mean, I guess it's not thousands yeah. per, per breed because, you know, it's, I guess looking at it saying just because dogs are the same breeds because their genetics are different then means that their predisposition to problems associated with desexing is therefore going to be different. So, you know, it is again, that hard thing. That's something that we've been talking about at work at the moment. If we're going to be changing our recommendations, when people ring up, we, what used, used to be just a throwaway line at the, yeah. you know, your, at your 12 week puppy vaccination now suddenly becomes well, you know, yes, life used to be very, very simple, but now it's not very simple, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. Exactly. And I mean, yeah, and then you suck in your crossbreeds. What if you've got your, you know, your, your spoodle? Yes. Or something like that. Is it a giant? Is it miniature? Is it standard? Is it a toy poodle? Does yep. it matter that it's crossbred? You know, that's, that's sort of some difficult recommendations there. It's, it's a real changing landscape. So especially, a good, good start with a list like that. Yeah, yeah. And I guess it's it still just sets up a framework, doesn't it? You know, like it, it, it starts a conversation, Lewis, yes. you know, yes. that it's not, that it's not just the standard. And you know, some people will still want to have their dogs de-sexed at six months of age yes. because, you know, they don't want to have their dog go through a season. And that is yeah. 
absolutely, completely and utterly fine. And it's just that uh, accepting of the of the slightly higher risk of some of these things, depending on the breed, uh, you know, that that may or may not happen down the down the track. So it's just a you know, informed consent. Exactly. Well, it was interesting. I had a lady uh, with a golden retriever puppy that came in this week, you know, and uh, we got around chatting to, of course, desexing age. And I sort of said to, well, you know, it's, it's a little bit up in the air for golden retrievers. It's actually all about probably delaying them, you know, a bit longer. If we go back to the golden retriever for the females, it was uh, leave ideally them leave them intact or older than one year and be vigilant. And I sort of mm. said that to her, look, you know, it's uh, the, the latest study that's come out in July, you know, is, is that, uh, that, you know, you leave them a bit later or don't do them at all potentially. And mm. she said, oh, well, I went to another vet and they said, oh, six months of age, you know, yeah, that's, that's a good time to do it. And it was a difficult conversation for me because I was sort of like, well, you know, yes, that other vet has said that. And you could probably ask 10 different vets, but look, mm. here's the study. Here's the link to the study. And we pulled it up and we talked through the things that it talked about and that sort of thing. And I just thought, well, here's information. You can make your own decision Mm. really on, on where to go from here but she was she's very sort of thankful that uh that was able to perhaps just you know not give that blanket blanket sort of yep six months will be fine no worries it, it's um the, there's two ways of looking at it um and this is the the difficult thing that um that, that we're, all vets are going to have to grapple with is that if you're doing the right thing and you're making this decision a lot more complicated than what it ever has done, yes. um, then that's going to be much more difficult for owners to be able to deal with compared to if you ring up, you yeah. know, uh, you know the, the dodgy vet down the road who just says, Oh no, that's all rubbish. Just desexed at six months. Yeah. Everything's fine. Been, been doing it all our life. It's fine. Yeah. And, and there's, yeah, that comes across as that either, well, hang on, this person's making my life more complicated, but this other person yeah. is making, you know, is giving me a clear direction of that this is what we do, and he seems much more definitive. All the other one sounds mm. all wishy-washy and things. It's like, um, you know, if uh, I always find, you know, if you're trying to deal with a um, a, a complex medical case, and you're talking to owners about these complex medical cases, and you're saying, look, sometimes we don't get all the answers and sometimes we run these tests and it's not black and white yep. if that's coming from a, a gp vet we sound incompetent but if a specialist says the same thing it's like oh well absolutely you know this is this is someone who's at the forefront of their game so it's i guess a lot of it comes down to how much trust the owner has in you it is and trust. also what sort of yeah. level of level of gravitas that you have as well you know if you're a if you're a new grad vet who's trying to trying to fumble their way through oh well this is what we can do and this is what we can't do and all of which is making them come up with um, a more tailored recommendation for your pet. Just because they're making it complicated doesn't mean that it's wrong. You know, mm. you know, mm. there, if there was only one way to cook, um, to cook food, gee whiz, people wouldn't be spending $750 on a view to Mond, uh, you know, degustation menu. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. it's, 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 it's a difficult area because I think even in some clinics, you can talk to one vet and they'll you know potentially say what I say. And then, in the clinic, you've got the, uh, the, the, another vet who'll just go, no, six months of age. And so you're like, Oh, you really need that, that consistency. Mm. And it's hard to get it through the, prof the profession as a whole, because there's really not a lot of science about it too. So no. I think there's going to be a lot more, there'll be a lot more papers written about it in the next few years yes. as well. And so I guess part of the difficult thing is, is that, you know, you, you make the best decisions that you can with the information that you've got at the time. Um, otherwise you stick the head in the sand and say the same thing that we've been saying for 20 years, hoping that 
nothing bad ever happens. Well, that's all right. I think it's changing so quickly that those uh, Westie owners that gave you the Corona beers that, that are listening to this podcast now in 2022, don't listen to this information because it's definitely changed by it's now. Probably- you need to skip ahead to episode 530 because that's when we do discuss what it is for 2020. It's, it's all there in the disclaimer, mate. You know, um, you know veterinary medicine is continually yes. advancing and changing. That's why we've got a disclaimer. Yes, it is. Yeah. And also for Ron from the Cat Lover Show. Yeah, good old Ron. Yeah, Ron. Hey? Oh, How's Ron he going? Is- yeah, what if he oh, joined us on the Facebook Live? I didn't see him pop up. No, no. No, no, he might have done. It might have been his lawyer pop up. <laughs> Possibly. Now, I've got another article. Tell, that us also- about, tell us about shock collars. Yeah, tell us I've- about shock I've hijacked the uh, I've hijacked it today, mate. For 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 stuff. This is a this is another awesome article that uh, well, much more awesome than the other one, which about desexing. My my preference is uh, definitely behaviour stuff. This came out also in July this year uh, in Frontiers of Science. Efficacy of dog training with and without remote electronic collars versus a focus on positive reinforcement. Ah. So I like this. So this is um, obviously using shock collars versus using food rewards, potentially mm. mainly. Uh, I suppose also patting as well and, and other rewards could be positive reinforcement. But this one did look mainly at food rewards. It's done by a great group out of the UK, out of um, uh, University of Lincoln, Lucy China, Daniel Mills and Jonathan Cooper, well-known sort of behavior kind of people. Uh, and I, I really, um, there's, a, there's a fair bit to the article, but basically if we talk about uh, electronic training aids. They take a number of forms, but they commonly involve a collar-borne device or an e-collar, which can deliver a static electric stimulus to the dog's neck, as well as a number of other stimuli, such as an auditory or a vibratory sort of sound. Uh, the, de- the devices can include remote hand-operated devices, bark or noise-activated control collars and containment systems or invisible fences. So mm-hmm. they're buried in the ground and the dog's got the collar on. They approach the edge of the fence and they usually get a noise that they're approaching. And if they keep approaching, they then get a shock. They don't right. be confused with a shock. Uh, a lot of people that are proponents for shock collars talk about them being a static pulse right. or being, um, you know, a tingle or, you know, they are all electric shocks that yeah getting. right G- um so the dog so uh yeah we talked about the the collars so opponents of um e-collars have argued that because these devices use aversive stimuli so aversive mean punish you know, yep. not in the technical term but versus being nasty, nasty something not pleasant yep. not nice exactly to, to you, hurt, you wouldn't do it to your kid no not not these days no, no, not no. these days. Well, it not depends, in, depends on what they've broken. Not in 2020. Definitely not in 2022 when you no. corona mates are listening. Yeah. Opponents of e-collars have argued that because these devices use aversive stimuli to deter undesirable behavior, they pose an increased risk of undesirable training outcomes, such as negative changes in effective states. So making dogs scared or fearful mm. all the time of when's the shot coming or unanticipated associations. So the classic one is the dog with invisible fence, First time they use it, they get a shock and they turn around and bite the, the child that's standing next to them because they think the child next to them has hurt them, not the not the electric fence. That's a, that's a real... That they uh, can't see. Yeah, real... Yeah, um, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so, um, uh, and compared to reward, uh, and especially they say, you know, um, 
in the hands of poorly trained or inexperienced owners, this is a really common thing that can happen. And certainly compared to reward focused training, where it's very hard to make that mistake and get the dog to bite the toddler or make the dog fearful by giving it a food reward. It's very, very difficult to do that. In contrast, those who advocate the use of remote e-collars have argued that the device, especially in the hands of experienced trainers, can be used to, as to modify behavior through negative reinforcement with limited exposure to noxious stimuli, so limited shocking. So a valuable training aid. Collar manufacturers, so people who make them, suggest an advantage over these systems is that they give handlers control over a dog even at a distance. So if you're using food rewards, they would say, well, you can't give a food reward if the dog's 20 meters away. Yeah. Um, and effectively suppress highly motivated behaviors such as predatory behavior, like um, which is, you know, chasing and killing livestock um, or unintentional killing of wildlife. It's a, it's a difficult problem to treat, but a really common thing that people say we can use shock collars for this to, to treat it because it's really, really hard to treat. E-collars are six. Um, it's also been claimed that where e-collars are successful in treating behavioral problems, dogs may avoid unnecessary euthanasia, an outcome that would be distressing to owners. So the dogs used in this study were referred to experienced professional trainers as their owners had experienced significant obedience problems, including poor recall, so not coming when called, uh, but also chasing livestock and or aggressive behavior to other dogs. The current study focused on remote hand operated devices as these are the most commonly used form in the UK at the time of the study, being primarily used as a means of discouraging chasing behavior and improving recall. So all the dogs, uh, there were 63 dogs involved in the study um, and they're all older than nine months of age and none of them had any previous experience with electronic collars at all. They were put into three groups. So you had the, uh, the e-collar group, um, Dogs were trained using active e electronic collars to improve recall and general obedience by experienced manufactured nominated trainers. And they've used ECM uh, for that experienced manufactured nominated trainers. I'm not sure what ECM, ECMA, I'm not sure what that stands for. Um, but those people were chosen to represent best practice use of the e collar. So um, trainers followed approved practices as recommended by EMCA, including assessing the dog's sensitivity to electric stimuli prior to training and pairing vibration cue with the electric signal with the aim of modifying behavior through negative reinforcement, blah, blah, blah. Uh, dogs in this group also experienced positive reinforcements, such as rewarding dogs with food and negative reinforcement, such as lead pressure. So they did use shot collars. Maybe they use food rewards. Maybe they use mm. some lease corrections as well. It's hard to know. Then there was a control group one. Uh, dogs were trained by the same trainers who used the e-collars, mm -hmm. but these dogs didn't have e-collars on. Um, so they were trained using a mixture of food reward, uh, food rewards, positive reinforcement, and negative reinforcement such as lead pressure. So, you know, uh, pulling on the pulling on the lead to improve recall and general obedience, but without the use of electronic stimuli. So e collar group one, control group one, uh, e collar group one, all wearing e collars. Control group one, no e collars, but the same trainers that, that yeah. use the e collars. Control group two, where dogs were trained to improve recall and general obedience by experienced professional trainers who are members of the Australian association, sorry, of pet dog trainers in the UK, an organization which does not support the use of e-collars in dog training and chosen to represent best practice use of positive reinforcement or reward-based training. 
So we've got three groups. Mm-hmm. So all dogs in the study, interesting thing, the study were, uh, they were all recorded on video and then, uh, and then viewed by um, uh, behaviorists um, to, to assessing the behavior. Now to make sure that the people who are viewing the videos didn't know sort of which dogs were in which group, uh, all, the dogs, yes. all the dogs in the study wore an e-collar during the right. training sessions. But the dogs in the control group, so control group one and two, it was just a dummy collar. It didn't work. There was, it, wasn't, it was inactivated mm. essentially, but not that the people could tell on the video. Uh, the training occurred in field locations with penned sheep, penned chickens, and other dogs that were on lead as potential, as potential distractors during training. Dogs were primarily kept on 10-meter long leads throughout training sessions. However, trainers had the option to drop the lead or remove the lead from the dog when they considered it appropriate. During training, dogs were normally within one meter of the trainer, about 70% of the time in all three groups. So they didn't really go far from their, uh, mm. the trainer. And about five, uh, less than 5% of the time, they spent more than five meters distant from the trainer in all three groups. So they really didn't want to leave the trainer. You know, they're, no. not, they're not working at a distance like it's perceived um, that, that they need to be to be using the shot collars. Um, so the data collection focused on the dog's responses to two commands, come, which is, you know, recall to the trainer and sit, you know, placing your bum on the ground. These were the two most common commands using during training with improved recall being the target behavior for the subject dogs. So they wanted them to teach them recall, a better recall essentially with the come command. Um, measures of training efficacy included number of commands given to elicit the response. So number of times you have to get come, 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 because that works. Makes yes. It all the time. All yes. the time. The more you say it, the more likely it is that it's going to happen. It makes it ingrained, doesn't it? Really gets it in there. Yeah. Drives it home. Yeah. And response latency. So that's basically technical word of saying how long it took them to respond to the first time you say the command. Control. Is that what I can say to Ruben when I ask him when he's going to clean his room and ask him what he's, what he's, uh, you know, re- re- <laughs> command latency is going to be. Yes. Response latency. Response latency. Very low. Weeks. Yes. Months. <laughs> <laughs> he would not, he would not pass. That's for sure. Um, so the control two group, which was the only positive reinforcement group, achieved significantly better responses to both sit and come commands after a single instruction in the allocated time. These dogs also had shorter response latencies than the e-collar group. There was no significant difference in the proportion of commands disobeyed between the three groups. Mm. Although significantly fewer commands were given to the dogs in control too. So that's, that's ah. really interesting. So, essentially saying that positive reinforcement works like better over collars. Yeah. Um, and I just find the next bit that I'm up to, I think we're over a few pages overall the professional. So this is results overall, the professional use of reward focused training regime as demonstrated by control group two was superior to e-collar and control group one in every measure of efficacy where there was a significant difference. In addition, dogs in control group one showed no better learning outcomes than those in the e-collar group. So even the trainers using the e-collar weren't better than when they didn't use the e-collar. Yeah, right. That's their wheelhouse, you know, that they've been brought up to use e-collars. It still didn't help their, their, uh, their response to recall and sit. And, and on that, if I can just sort of throw a little wrinkle in there too, the, the interesting thing there is the variable that, 
the trainers knew that they were training dogs without the collars as well. And so my question is, is, well, how hard were they trying to be training those dogs without the collars? And yet the dogs still did better than what they did with the collars. Yeah. Because if you've got someone who's, who's a, a massive proponent of using a collar and then they go, all right, now I want you to go and train that blue dog over there, but not use the collar you can't imagine that they're going to put all that. Some of them might, but, but you'd have to think that they might, you know, there might be a little bit of bias there that they might then say, Oh, you know what? I don't want to, I don't want to try and push too hard given that I don't think this is going to work, but it still worked better. Yeah. Well, possibly. I mean, it depends how the, the people who ran the study, I suppose, postulated what the study was for and why it was being Mm. done. I guess you could do it in a way that would say, you know, not bring out, hopefully not bring out that bias amongst, uh, amongst um, those trainers, but perhaps if I read a bit deeper, but you'd hope that, I mean, these guys are pretty experienced at running studies and you hope they would think about the potential for that bias and perhaps Mm. just frame it in a way that makes them realize, makes them think that they're not competing against themselves. Yes. Yeah. um, But just, you know, doing, I can't think of something off the top of my head, but just doing it as a, as a purely experiment based thing, not really trying to say, E-collars are no good or, or whatever, yeah. whatever it might be. But the, the, the fact that not using the e-collars is still coming, like if they have, um, you know, put the, the, the magical bias invisibility cloak over it, it's worked an absolute treat. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah so yeah, so, so it's a well, well done yeah. to them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So given the better target behavior response parameters associated with reward-focused training and the finding that the use of an e-collar did not create a greater deterrent for disobedience, we conclude that an e-collar is unnecessary for effective recall training given the additional potential risk to the animal's well-being associated with the use of an e-collar we conclude that dog training with these devices cause unnecessary suffering due to the increased risk of a dog's well-being is compromised through their use without good evidence of improved outcomes these findings refute the suggestion that training with an e-collar is more is either more efficient or results in less disobedience even in the hands of experienced trainers in many ways, training with positive reinforcement was found to be more effective addressing the target behavior as well as general obedience training. This method of training also poses fewer risks to dog welfare and quality of the human-dog relationship. And I think that's a really important part as well, mm. that, uh, that you're potentially damaging the relationship with your dog by using punishment or aversive stimuli in, in your training. Given these results, we suggest that there is no evidence to indicate that e-collar training is necessary, even for its most widely cited indication which is you know predatory aggression chasing sheep and 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 animals and other dogs as well so i love that paper great little oh, you uh, would do great little no, another nail in the coffin for for the use of uh, of shock collars there you go and that, speaking of nails in the coffin yes the uh at the same time interesting petco have you heard of petco overseas in America, I think they're a big. I have heard they're they're like a big um big warehousey thing, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, for pet products. Yeah, exactly. And this is October the sixth. Uh, it ends. This is a press release they put out. It ends today. Whoa. Today, COVID, COVID ended today. Yeah, no, no vaccine, no. mate. No, oh, it's coming. Right. Trump says it's coming though. No. Beauty. Way. Yeah, yeah. For those waiting. Yeah, a couple of weeks. Today we stop the pain for Buddy because he barks at the doorbell. Today. 
Oh no. We stop the stress for Sadie because she jumps for joy all over the neighbors when they walk in the door. And we stop the fear for Cooper because he prefers a good pair of sneakers over all the chew toys on the market. Oh. As of today, Petco no longer sells shock collars operated by a person with a remote in hand because the health and wellness company dedicated to improving pet lives. They have no business in our business. Hey, that. they must've read this article or listened to the podcast. Oh, that'd Post. be great if they did. Yeah, yeah. But oh, that's fantastic. So, frankly, we believe there's a better way. So today we say out with shock collars and in with positive training. We say goodbye to remote controls that cause pain and hello to expert trainers who mentor pet and pet parents with positivity, patience, and compassion. Mm. Today we call on the rest of the pet industry and anyone who loves pets to join our movement, help us drive positive change beyond just Petco. Today we encourage anyone using or looking for shock collars to consider training with treats instead of electricity and partnership instead of pain. In fact, we'll cover your first training class if you let us. Learn what we're, what we're taking off our shelves and add your voice to our petition below. And thank you for helping us give all pets their very best lives. Today we hashtag stop the shock. Wow! So for our overseas listeners, yeah, you can do something for this. You can well, we can all sign the petition if you hashtag stop the shock. But if you're overseas and you're going shopping, don't go to your Walmart or wherever they stock shock collars. No, go to your Petco and support them and let them know you're supporting them and buying your products from them because they're not selling shock collars anymore. Great little Absolutely. Dish. Thank you very much for bringing that to the table, mate. That's great. Yeah, it is good. Now, one more thing before yes. we sign off. Uh, we did get a, an update from Nicole Peavy. Do you remember Nicole had Dash? Dash, uh, yes. I think, it was, uh, I think Dash was a Labrador with, um, with the nail... Uh, nail bed. Yeah, symmetrical lupoid uh, on on encode dystrophy, the, the long nails that keep sort of growing, growing in, in funny ways. Um, and also the pads that, that grow as well. So she says, hey, guys, I'm currently writing this during the AFL Grand Final. And boy, what a terrible start. But what an awesome finish, she says. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much, Nicole. There he is. He managed to sneak it in. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's been a while since I updated you about Dash, whom you helped diagnose with uh, with a nail problem. To keep on top of it, we dremel and file a couple of nails a day. I feel like Paul Hogan painting the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Once I finish, I have to start, start again. Start again, yes. He tolerates it better than when we first started, but usually gets the poops with me after a while. But today we had a massive win thanks to some gabapentin. Hey, hey. Oh, very good. Someone's been talking to Behaviour Vet. This is great. I got all four paws done, including a little paw hair trim. We were about to do alone training, but while waiting for the gabapentin to kick in, it started storming. He doesn't oh, have a fear. He doesn't have a fear of storms, but I don't want to trigger a fear by leaving me alone during storm, which is his most hated thing in the world. So obviously he doesn't, he's not, he doesn't hate storms, but he doesn't yeah. like being left alone. So instead we did a pedicure. And as you can see by the picture, he hated every second of it. And she got a lovely photo here where he's, uh, he's giving a bit of a smile while he's upside down. I don't know if you can see that. He doesn't look overly happy no. rolling on his back, trying to get away from her yeah. grabbing his, his paws, I think. Anyway, love the work you guys are doing. And we haven't heard if Robbie is still wearing socks indoors, or is that all done now? Update. Socks. And he's showing, and there they are, the socks. socks. Everyone. We and there are even, even no holes in them. We haven't been able to have any visitors, so you wouldn't know visitors wearing them or not. 
Uh, no, no, no. no. I, I went around to the um to the a builder's house um yesterday, and he's got polished uh, polished concrete. Yes. We still took our shoes off walking into his place. There's like polished concrete. It's like, oh, I don't know if I'm you know, wow. going to damage your polished concrete. But anyway, there you go. So he left the stilettos at the door, mate. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, she goes on. Also, any chance uh, we could get Lewis's wife, Deb, doing more episodes? Oh, and, and, another. And Lewis, please play the Richmond Full Cup theme song more as they are the reigning premiers. <laughs> Yes, they are. There you, go. you can do the outro, mate. I'm going to go and catch up with Mr. A. Woo! All That's a wrap. We'll scratch you later. <laughs> or find us on Patreon and, and email us at twobedstalkpets at gmail.com and Facebook and TikTok and, you know, Lewis at the tattoo parlor getting, getting Dusty Martin tattooed on his neck. Oh, Lewis is gone. Lewis is gone. He's, he's, he's stopped, the re- stopped the record. Actually, he's about to shut down the Zoom meeting. All right. I guess that means that it's peace out too. All right, bye. Thanks for listening to Two Vets Talk Pets with Lewis and Robbie. To chat further about this week's episode or ask the guys any questions, search Two Vets Talk Pets on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or send an email to Two Vets Talk Pets at gmail.com. You can find Lewis on Twitter with the handle at Vet Behaviorist. And more importantly, as the two pet heroes return to their day job of saving animals' lives, be sure to thank them with a five-star review on iTunes. Every time you do, a small, cute animal will receive a cuddle.